Good morning, ladies. It's nice to see you. Glad to be here this morning. All right. So this week, lesson nine of Revelation part two, we had, wow, a huge week of homework. I know, I know. It was, I, I was actually doing really well, I thought when I ran into Martha, she's not here yet this morning, but I ran into her this morning or this earlier at the boating booths. And um, we were talking about the observation worksheets that we were working on. And somehow in my little pea brain, I thought that was the work, right? No, only to find out that you know more than get done with that. And then you've got like a gazillion lists to make, right? On the one, I know another whole week's and actually even more than that, because honestly, you know, usually we do one observation worksheet and the lists upon the things that we're lear learning there, your focus and attention is honed in on one thing, right? I just, it, it's just much more calming to do it that way. <laughs> Carol and I were talking about, you know, later moving into something different, uh, after we finish with Revelation, we need to decide what we're going to be studying next. And I said, it'd be nice to do something a little simpler, maybe in the New Testament, maybe like a, a, an epistle or something that's got, you know, just a few chapters. <laughs> and we can take that one just smaller steps at a time. This is a definitely a book of challenging your skills and your dedication and your commitment to hanging in there and doing it. I also just want to encourage you. There she is. We were just talking about you. <laughs> I told them I ran into you at the voting booth. <laughs> um, we need to know that um, there's a lot of grace in this book. As you know, there are four parts. So a lot of things that are covered are covered over and over and over. We repeat, repeat, repeat. And as you know, I'm notorious in doing that anyway. Um, I do think though, and I pray that as we have moved along step-by-step step in doing these overviews, that you're starting to now maybe grab hold of things a little bit. How have the lessons that we've done so far in part two helped you? Can you guys give me some insight on what you're feeling about the steps that we've done so far? Have there been any specific ones that have been really especially beneficial to you or ha have they just kind of collectively been well i think i think realizing the tolerance because that was kind of you know i mean if you read it you're gonna think that it's going chronologically and then it doesn't right right so those segment divisions that we did last week then were helpful, because not only the parentheses, but all of them actually, but yeah, the, those parentheses, what was it? Uh, we had parentheses in chapter uh, 7, 10, and then that big one, which was 12, 1, all the way to 15, 4, right? Um, these these uh, segment divisions that we did last week I do think they are, I thought they were especially helpful in doing the homework this week when she was starting to ask you to plug things in. And when you went back and started reading your list making on chapter 11 and what were you, 12 and 13 and four. So now you know all of a sudden you're in what part of the book when you were doing most of your work this week. You were in the parentheses, that third parentheses that big one which falls right in the middle of the seventh trumpet there's this pause 
They fill you in with all kinds of backdrop information about your characters, the events that are gonna be taking place. Some of it goes into what's coming ahead, but some of it was history that had already occurred. Things like Jesus's birth, right? Uh, the, the initial fall of Satan, all these other issues that are were thrown in there as well. So I do think doing this um, segment division homework that we did last week was really, I think, probably a biggie because when you did your homework this week then you kind of knew where you were instead of going why am I not being able to figure out where this goes on a timeline you could you could kind of go oh okay I know this is in the parentheses where there's a lot of extra information so I have to figure out what part of it goes where you know how did you figure out where certain things did go as you were asked those questions on day five, which is, by the way, what we're going to cover this morning. We're going to cover all, all of those uh, five, was it five? One, two, three, four, oh, seven. We're going to cover all seven questions. We're going to go through and we're going to try to plug in at a, a, a grand finale statement where we think they fall on the timeline, right? If we can. How did... Um, doing those lists that you did this week and then looking at them in re relationship to your uh, segment divisions, how did that all fit together for you? Was it, could you imagine trying to answer any of those questions without having done all the, the preparation work that you've done so far? Now you can understand, number one, why pastors don't really like to teach Revelation from the pulpit, right? Because from the pulpit, you get about a 25 or 30 minute sermon time, and you're trying to bring people along with you in the knowledge that you have, but they're not ready for it, right? Um, even you and I, as we are moving through this and really devoting a lot of hours each week to our, our homework time, we also are still struggling a little bit. We're still kind of scratching our heads on a few things. So I, I, if nothing else, I would say it gives us a little bit more mercy <laughs> towards our pastors who try to dive into this. And can you imagine all the emails and the phone calls that they get when they preach on these kinds of things and when people don't agree with them and, and they haven't got away because they have a point of reference to really know, you know what the actual answers are if they've not studied it, right? But the great thing is, I do think that if we can get um, uh, a pretty good grip here in this part two of each of the different perspectives of what you need to know about this book, so that when we go into part three and part four, we're going to just be plugging in inf additional information. We will have things pretty well lined up. Now, I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think we actually do a timeline in part two. I think that's in part three. But we're already beginning to see a timeline, aren't we? You're starting to feel the flow on this without even me taking you there, which is awesome. Um, but for those, you know, if you have questions still about how this timeline is working, um, just know that there are still lots of layers to go in the process. And when we do finally get to the place where we do start doing a timeline, and we start talking about in particular the time times and half the time, and we plug in where's the 1,260 and where's the uh, 42 months, which we looked at this week, 
exactly where do they go on a timeline and how that lays out. Once you get that locked in and you see it clearly, everything else is going to start being pretty clear for you, okay? The, I think one of the more fun parts of this, though, is when you start diving into those uh, Old Testament scriptures, you look at Zechariah and you look at Joel and you look at uh, even Matthew, though, which New Testament, obviously. Well, actually, Old Testament, right? Because <laughs> until the death, burial, and resurrection, it's still Old Testament. I fooled every one of you, didn't I? <laughs> ha ha. Until the death, burial, and resurrection, you're still Old Testament because you're, pro you're still in the Old Covenant. So that's how you have to view when you're studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John primarily. Until you hit the resurrection, then you're New Testament. So just keep that in mind. I know that's a, that's a mind scratcher for you. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Um, okay. One of the things I did want to bring up to you one more time, though, is um, when we have been going through the book, we've talked about how, because these parentheses pop in here, but what ha happens is you're seeing first seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, right? For the moment, and until you're completely convinced of how that lays out, would, would you agree with me that the logic for us is to agree to at least put them for the moment in a systematic layout? We're just going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, four right now. Later, once we get more information, add in those additional time references so we can lock them in for sure. Um, you just have to kind of take it for as it is. Scripture, I do think, is uh, very good about telling us that um, you need to take things literal, right? And don't try to add in any more complication than there already is, right? So for right now, just keep in mind that that's how we're, we are going to be looking at this. And I would imagine that having done now these segment divisions, you can see where knowing where these parentheses is, are, that they are parentheses moment, they're additional information that's being plugged into in, you're moving along in a systematic way, and then they plug in something, then they go right back and resume where they picked up. Have you noticed that? So in that, in, with that reasoning in mind, then you're going to see things are a systematic progression, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, in that order, okay? All right, now, you need to have out for you this morning so that we can dive into what we're doing here. Pull out your segment divisions. Have that close, somewhere handy for you to look at. You may want to have your, um, your chart that we did where you put in your seals, your trumpets and your bowls into, into lists. And then you could begin to see patterns that were repeated, you know, after having done that. And if, you, if looking at your own is easier, that's good. If not, you can pull out the one I sent out to you. That's fine too. Um, that's your second one. Your third thing that you really probably need to have available is your at-a-glance chart. Again, I cannot stress more uh, carefully that you really need to be developing these at-a-glance charts and keeping them handy. Um, I like to do them on my computer so that I can manipulate them and change them up and fix them and improve on them. Um, did I send out the at-a-glance chart to you all? 
I kind of hate to give you my at-a-glance chart because it's better if you have developed your own, but I think I did because remember I shaded in where the three parentheses parts are? Huh? Right, in different times. So, okay. All right. Do you guys want me to send this out to you? Remind me, please, and I'll send it, I'll send it out to you if you'd like it. And everyone has and everyone has this one that we sent out, correct? Okay, this that one. And then that was like our very that was back in lesson seven when we finished that. This one is lesson eight last week, the segment divisions, and you got that one in the mail this last week, correct? Okay, so that's hopefully it's helpful to have on hand. Okay, so if you kind of have those three charts available just to glance at, the other one that might be helpful, and I did go ahead and send it out to you last week, and that was this one with the the uh, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, and I just short, sort of showed you how they lay out one after the other just as a visual the one nice thing was like last week how we did that on the board and then we were able to discuss things over here and then come over and say this goes right here right and that was a beginning of kind of doing some timelining with you even though it's technically not quite time for it all that okay last week i dropped some of my things on the floor as i was teaching and then i couldn't find them <laughs> okay so do that you might want to have your lists also available that you made from each of your chapter studies. And then Kay asked you to look at uh, various topics, Babylon and the woman and the witnesses and so forth, right? And she said, begin to make lists on those. And those are going to be accumulative. You're going to continue to build on those. So hang on to them. Don't delete them off your computer, okay? Keep, keep them handy. Okay, so now to, today what we want to do then is begin to answer the questions that Kay asked us on day five of the homework. And so I put them up here. When is the wrath of God finished? When is the mark of the beast given? When are the 144,000 sealed and how long are they present on the earth, right? When is the gathering for the great day of God. Now, there's a distinction between the gathering of it and the execution of it, right? But the great day of God. Uh, when, and also, I'm, we're going to look at the synonym to that great day of God, what that might be. When has the hour of God's judgment come? When does Babylon fall? And when is the wine press trodden outside of the city? And of course, what city are we talking about, correct? All right, so let's just start with that. Let's begin with when is the wrath of God finished? So you all had, let's see, what page? Let's see the mark of the beast. Okay, this is chapter 15, right? Primarily the wrath of God, chapter 15, the wrath of God. All right, let's, let me just begin by asking some questions. When do you see that statement that God's wrath has come? When was the first time we saw that statement? He, and he says to us, well, man does say it. You're right about that. And man says it 
what is and when is it that he says that that's in chapter six in the sixth seal now what is the problem with the fact that man has said it versus when it's said the next time what's the distinction between the two the next time it's said is said is in what chapter chapter 11 okay i'll help you out <laughs> 15 to 18 okay i want you to go to 11 15 to 18 with me and let's start there together and we want to talk about a little bit about this segment right here because this is where it the the uh, verse 14 says the second woe is past right behold the third woe is coming quickly then it opens verse 15 then the seventh angel sounded so we do have the sounding of the seventh angel but then what follows it is what loud voices in heaven saying what and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever okay and verse 16 tells us what are they doing there? They're in worship time in the heavenlies in worship. And then the, he, they go on in verse 17 to say, we give you thanks again, worship, right? They're thanking God. Now they go, they make these um, time statements, correct? What, what are the time statements that are given to us there? Okay, so he's begun to reign. We're in the seventh trumpet. They're making a declaration. He, you have begun to reign. And? Yeah, the nations are enraged. God, your wrath came. There's the your wrath came statement. The first, state, the, the first additional statement since we saw it back in the, the sixth seal, right? And the time came for the dead to be judged, right? And the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, tell me in that list of things, how many of those do you think are literally fulfilled at this point in history? At the sounding of the seventh trumpet? Zero pretty much zero. So what's going on here in these statements? How would you explain them? Okay, so it's a beginning. So how do you explain this to someone who says, yeah, but it says he's begun to reign and his wrath has come. Does that mean his wrath has come? No, he hasn't actually become, because how do we know that? Right. And then you've got the okay. There's we're in the seventh trump. We're in the middle of it. Well, all it's done is sounded right. We don't. We see in verse nineteen a little bit of information about that seventh trumpet. Correct. So the seventh trumpet is the third row, which is it culminates in the wrath of God being finished and God reigning. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 7. 
Yeah, again, in one of those parentheses moments, right? Go back to 10.7 together, just one chapter back. And here we have, we have that strong angel with that little book. And we, decide, we finally decided after we talked about it that a lot of that information in one through six is kind of mute because he literally says, don't write it down right? Don't write. It's, it's, it's not for you for right now. It will, we will get to know what it is later, I think. But for right now, he doesn't want him to write it down. And then he stands there in verse six, remember, and he lifts his hand and, and he swears his right hand and he swears by him who lives forever and ever. Again, it's like taking an oath on a witness stand. He's making us swearing an oath before God who created heaven and earth. And he says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound. So what has happened in chapter 10? What is this parenthesis for? Yeah, because we were going along, we were in the sixth, we were in the middle of the sixth trumpet, right? He pauses to tell you about something that's coming ahead in the seventh. Why does he do it that way? Yeah, it's logical. You have to tell somebody where to turn before you get to the turn, right? You can't tell them after you've gone past it, oh, whoops, that was the turn back there. So he's making a declaration for us about something that's coming ahead. He's giving you fore forewarning about it. And he's telling you, you need to pay attention. This is significant. This is important, right? Yeah, in chat, when you go back to 11. Yeah, in 10, though, he's just telling you in the seventh trumpet, then the mystery of God is going to be finished. In what way is the mystery finished when you get to the seventh trumpet? Does that mean that all of God's um, judgments are finished? Does it mean the judgments are done at the end of the seventh trumpet? No. So, but so what does he mean by the mystery is finished? Yeah, because up to this point, what, it, what he goes on to tell us, he says the, this mystery that is going to be finished and it's what he preached to his servants, the prophets. So you're talking about Old Testament, all those many, many um, uh, prophecies that were given through these Old Testament prophets about the days ahead, that day when God would judge, that day when God would come to rule and reign in righteousness. This is the, the consummation of Israel that Israel's been waiting for, that day when Israel is going to be redeemed and, going, and God is going to be your king and they are going to be his pe people. And yes. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So the mystery part is going to be. There you go. There you go. So basically, when he says that, that the the mystery of God is going to be finished, he's saying, in other words, when these seven angels are revealed and they are given the seven bowls. Now you know the, the mystery about it is, is finished because now, first of all, the bowls are right there in their face. They understand what's about to happen, 
right? The, those who are in, in the know of it at that moment. And he's saying, and now you know when it's coming. It's coming now, right? So the mystery is finished. Okay, so that's in 10. Now, so when you move into 11, then you, he picks back up with the sixth trumpet and finishes it. He starts the seventh trumpet. Then he, he, you see a moment of worship and praise. Now in worship and praise, what you, what you have to come to understand is that in worship, often these are declarations of truth, right? They're, they're just declarations that are made. They are recognizing significant events that are soon to come. They are praising God for them. Have you ever thanked God for an answer to prayer before you've seen the answer to the prayer? In many ways, that's what you're seeing right here. This is them making a declaration. God, you, through your prophets, you made these promises. We're praising you for them now. Okay, so that's what's happening in verse uh, 15 through 18. He, the trumpet sounds. Now it's worship. Now in verse 19, do you see the bold-faced number there, 19 on your observation worksheet? This shows you that the worship part has concluded. Now she's saying now, and the temple of God, which is in heaven was open. Now, is that still worship or is that something new? That's something new. Now we have a literal event of the seventh trumpet occurring. First, it was simply worship and declarations about things that they're affirming and they're basically in faith. Hebrews says, what, what is faith? It's the assurance of things not seen right and the and the um, confidence of the of things not yet come to pass so god is they are saying to god god we know you've made these declarations we know your word never returns void we know every word that you've spoken is always accomplished and we believe you for that and they're making these declarations of praise that's what this worship scene is so i don't know about you but in mine on my observation worksheet I just marked off that one segment and hi highlighted it with a, a blue marker in a way that I see that's worship. I put little, I put a little angel there making declarations of praise to God. I like to put music notes sometimes next to it. Just something that indicates that it's not an event that's occurring, right? But that it's a praise time. Where else have we seen this in Revelation already? Do you remember? How, how in chapter four and five one is not, yeah four and five when they're at the throne room right so there you see them again making praises and in the end in that praise room again declarations of fact and truth some of them are fulfilled and truthful some of them are, are things that are yet ahead that god is going to fulfill same thing here okay so with that knowledge now right Every time you see a place where you think it's worship and you've convinced yourself this is worship, I would mark them in a, some kind of a distinctive way. Just mark it off with a, a, another parentheses or a, I, I just squared mine off with a blue marker and colored the whole section in with a light blue just so I could see that this was worship. And then I made significant um, highlights to where the statements of loud voices in heaven worshiping god we give you thanks so that i can see that was praise and worship time okay um and i think that will be helpful to you because that makes it distinctive 
about what you're looking at, that what is being said is worship as opposed to uh, facts of events, right? Does that make sense to you? Okay. Uh, so, so let's start here then. We're looking about that wrath of God. We have seen that we're in the seventh um, angel. Um, that's the seventh trumpet, right? Okay. The seventh angel gets worship in heaven. Do you see how I'm giving myself little notes? This is the worship is 11, 15 to 18. So I know that. And in that, they say, they tell us your wrath has come. Now, certainly it's coming very quickly. That is for sure, right? Um, and, and he goes on to say, not only has your wrath come, and the time came for the dead to be judged, for the saints to be rewarded, but we know we're not there yet. For one thing, when, it, when will the judgment take place? When will the judgment throne, not judgment as in the wrath of God, but the judgment come? Yeah. When is the great white throne judgment occurring? After the thousand years, right? And he says, and time to reward your bond servants. Does the, when, is the, when are the uh, bond servants rewarded? Well, I don't know about that. There's a variety of possibilities, aren't there? If you think about it, there, one reward would be the Bema seat of Christ. Now, personally, I think that happens even before all this, right? So in context here, it may be that they're speaking of a different kind of reward that comes at the very end. When is the next time you see uh, the, um, the saints being rewarded in some way? At the, yes, at, in chapter 20, when, he, when Jesus returns and, and he takes care of the beast, he casts them for a thousand years, and then what happens for the saints? They begin to do what? Reign. Rule and reign with Jesus Christ. For how long? A thousand years. So there's a reward, right? One of the rewards that we have. We certainly know there's also additional rewards. When are the next rewards coming? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd call that a reward, but it could be. Why not? I guess. So are we not there? Yes, of course we are. We are. We are. You think that's a reward? I'm looking forward to that reward. Sorry. She likes to dress up in her long ball gown. Yes, I forgot. <laughs> yes, okay. That well, this one I hadn't thought about, but that's good. Okay. Any other rewards that you can think of? Just because it's it's fun to think about these possibilities. What are all these rewards, right? So I guess what I'm really trying to do is to say to you, in this worship statement, a lot of fact statements are made, and they can fall in a variety of places. So the, these are, I think, to some degree, they are general statements, but also they are they are all going to be factually fulfilled, right? I think the biggest reward is the day when we get resurrected and we get our glorified body. <laughs> and I hope that happens even before all this, right? Okay, so that your wrath has come. 
uh, that's in 1118. That's the first statement that the wrath of God, well, if you're looking for the subject matter of when the wrath of God is finished, here it says your wrath has come. And that and that's all made in this in the time frame then of worship. Then the next one we look at is when we, we see it mentioned in the times of um, chapter 14 and also 15, right? So flip over to 14 and 15. I see the wrath starting in 10 and in 19 and 20, also back in seven, right? It's chapter seven the, is one of the biggies, right? 14.7, what does he say there? The hour of his judgment has come. Oh, that's interesting. So if we're looking for when is the hour of judgment come, when is the wrath of God finished? Here he's talking about the hour of his judgment has come. Um, we see judgment and wrath often overlapping one another, right? Now, where is chapter 14 follow, falling in our uh, segment divisions? That's right. We're in the parentheses again. So now, before we were in the seventh angel, this time we're in, we're in the three signs, right? That's how I like to put it. It's uh, 12.1 to 15.4. And here he says to, to us, uh, 14, does it say again? 14, 7, the hour of his judgment has come. Okay, that was 14, 7. Okay. All right, uh, 1410, it says what? There's the wrath of God going on. So if, when we we're speaking about when is the wrath of God finished? So here we see the wrath of God. He says he is going to drink of the wine of wrath. Who is? Anyone who does what? Anyone who worships the beast, the wine of, he, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So there's a, a statement in anyone who worships, let's put that up here. Anyone who worships the beast, I'm going to really shorten these too, by the way, uh, will drink. of wrath of God. Okay, so that's in 1410. Where, what else do you see on that subject there? 19, mm-hmm. Yeah, so who threw them there? The angel did, right? So what, what's going on in this part of chapter 14? What, what is the, the paragraph for you? Have you got your paragraphs marked in chapter 14 when you did your um, observation worksheets this week? You have three paragraphs in Revelation 14. Did you catch that? Okay, one through five is that 144,000. Six to 12 are these angels that are giving the gospel and warning, right? 
And then 13 to 20 is reaping. And there are two kinds of reaping, right? Who are the two reapers? That's right. The, son, the one like a son of man. And, the, and then these, this angel. And what's really complicated about, I think, some of this is there's so many angels involved, but some of them are simply speaking and saying, now is time, now do it. The other one is actually doing the reaping. And this one, he says, um, he had a sharp sickle, this one. And when he reaps, the contrast to that is the one like the son of man, when he reaps, it just says he reaps. And you don't hear anything more, right? He just simply reaps. Then when the angel reaps, what does he do with what he reaps? He throws it into the wine press of the great wrath of God. So here we see anyone who worshiped the beast will drink of the wrath of God. Here we see an angel. Uh, he throws um, basically the, those who have worshiped the beast, right? Uh, into the great, into the great wine press. Have you noticed how wine press and wrath and judgment and they all kind of overlap with one another, don't they? Okay, so they're different phrases, but they're speaking about the same time frame or time, you know, event. Okay, great wine press of wrath. That's in 1419. We're still in the three signs segment. And then we see uh, in... The next one is in 15.1. What happens there? Now we have an actual statement, don't we? Now in 15.1, a statement is made, but again, where are we at? Still in the three sides. In 15.1, it says what? Yes, yeah, seven angels uh, who had seven plagues. In them, the wrath of God is finished. And that's the question, correct? This is where she got this question from, is where then do you put this? This is the question, correct? Uh, and that is in 15.1. So now, what must we do in order to actually answer the question? Even though we see this this fact statement given to us in 15.1, it's a fact statement made in the time of the three signs when all the information is just kind of being thrown out on the plate, but there's not a, a complete sequence yet given to us. But one clue is given to us. When is that wrath finished? In, these, in the time when these bowls are being uh, executed, correct? So now we leave chapter 15, verse 4, and in verse five, where do, what do we pick up where we left off? What, where are we at? What do we pick back up that we had left? What have we left when we came to this parentheses? The seventh trumpet. So here we are. Now we are in the seventh trumpet. We're back to the seventh trumpet. And I can just say resumes, correct? And it resumes in 11.5, all the way to the end of that 
chapter, which I think is verse eight. So that's the seventh trumpet. And then we see in the seventh trumpet, what happens before we had back in 11, go back to 11. I know we've talked about this before, but it's important. Verse 19, remember we said we had worship going on in 15 to 18, right? Then I said in 19, now we have an actual event that occurs in that seventh trumpet, right? What's the event? The temple in heaven opens, the ark of the covenant appears in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder, and the earthquake, right? Very interesting, though, the way this, this go, goes on, then we get this parentheses, all the way through 15.4. And then what's the first three words of verse five? After what things? <coughs> the parentheses. After the parentheses, he said, now I looked and that temple, which is in heaven that we talked about back in 11.19, um, in heaven was open. So he's just making a, a restatement of where we left off back in 11.19 to make sure you're understanding where, where you are in this. For people who haven't done what we've done, th this is not an easy one to catch. But I just want you to see how this, this flow of thought is. When he says, after these things, you, I put my, a little note to self with an arrow pointing up 12.1 to 15.4. After what things? After these things, 12.1 through 15.4. After these things, I looked and the temple of the tabernacle in heaven was opened. It was already open. We saw that back in 11.19, right? So 11.19, the temple was open. There's a break, 12.1 to 5.4. And now in 15.1, he repeats the fact that it was open. And then he makes a, a declarative statement, something new. What's the next new thing that happens? Now these seven angels are given seven bowls. Now, so this is our next event. Seven angels given seven bowls. And what are in the bowls? Full of the wrath of God. Okay, and that's in 15.7, right? And okay, so that's in the seventh trumpet. Now, interesting is when do we start seeing these bowls being executed? Immediately following, correct? Starting in chapter 16. Now, the first bowl, the second bowl, the third bowl, the fourth bowl, right? Um, in there, he says when he opens chapter um, 16, he says, now go pour out. So do you see the word um, then at the beginning? There's a time reference. Then, then, then means it followed what was stated previously, right? So if you're looking for, the reason I'm trying to be really careful about this is because I know this can be a confusing part. And for some, maybe you all have got this, but maybe some of you don't. And I just want to make sure you're following. Then is a time reference. So now it's the next thing on the plate. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to those seven angels, right? Now go out, go and pour out on the earth, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So have they been poured out yet? No, now it's time to pour them out. So the first, the second, third, all the way. Now, do we get a any kind of a time reference as to when the wrath of God is finished then? When is the wrath of God finished? 
where do you have a verse and a scripture for me? Verse 17, the seventh uh, angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying what? It is done. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's pour it out. So now we're at the seventh bowl. I'm going to put this on here. Seventh bowl. I need more space. Uh, poured out. That's absolutely. Yes, it does. Good. I'm glad you brought that up, that up, Annette, because that is true. Be right. So, the, and again, so that's where those in the spirit segment divisions really, really also help. And you have to layer all these things in. This in the spirit, he says in chapter uh, 17, all the way through 20, you've got another in the spirit moment. Do you see that in 17.3? So chapter 17, all the way to 20, the next in the spirit statement is in uh, chapter 21, verse 10. So you know that chapter 17 then to 20 is one in the spirit segment, and that's the one that goes into detail, right? So, so you're in big picture right here. It's just giving you a sweeping uh, statement about what's going on. Boom, 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 these bowls. And then when he gets to 17 to 20, he's going to narrow in and give you more details about the things that God thinks are important for us to know. Okay. He pours out the seventh bowl and then he says, it is done. So there's our, that is our conclusion. So when is it, is it done? in the seventh bowl. Are you catching that? It is done. That's in 1617. Okay, we got a first question answered. Okay, hopefully now you kind of, you're kind of in the gear back and brains are cooking again, right? It always takes a few minutes to get the brains going a little bit. So let's look at the same uh, kind of formatting here where we're going to mark where are we when a certain statement is made? Is it in one of the trumpets or the seals or the bowls? Is it in the, one of the parentheses times like the sign? Is it a time like here where it was in a statement of worship? We need all these backdrop information on your note taking so that you know where you are when you make the statement. Otherwise, if you're just doing a list without noting context, you're gonna lose, you're gonna get confused, okay? so context rules for interpretation correct okay so let's look at when is the mark of the beast given uh, observing your list on the mark uh, that was your day three's homework i think are there any clues about when that's going on so let's again start with um i think it's going to be in 13 right okay chapter 13 where are we in the event of things Yeah, we're again in the seventh trumpet. Which left off in 11, um, 19, correct? 
and now we're in the part where um, we're in the parentheses because in chapter 13 falls in what segment? The three signs, correct? So here's our three signs again. All right. And so, which is 12 one, oops. My dyslexia is not good this morning. I didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> okay, 12 one to 15 four, three signs. And then, so we have a subject that comes up. He's called another beast, right? Another beast in, and we are in 13, 12, or in chapter, we're in 13 and it's actually uh, 11 to 18, correct? Chapter, chapter 13, are you in? Okay, got it. Yeah, chapter 12 starts with the two beasts. You're correct on that. But now flip on it because we're looking at the mark and the information about the mark comes underneath the another beast. So looking at the another beast, which is 1311 to 18 in your observation worksheets, let's see what we learn about the mark there. Um, who is this another beast? He's a, he's what? He is the false prophet. We don't learn that till like chapter 19 or something, but yeah. Okay. So he's the false prophet just for context. Let's just put that up here. We'll put on here, false prophet <laughs> or whatever helps you. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. I think, was it 1920 we get that? I thought it was. Okay. Okay. So you get the false prophet information in chapter 19, not in 13, but I'm just going to throw it up there. Now in 1312, what do we learn about this? Another beast? Yeah. Yes, he does. Okay. And he exercises the authority as the beast. And what does he make the earth do? Because we're looking for the information with the mark of the beast, okay? So, yeah, he makes the earth worship first beast. I'll just put first B because I don't have room for it anymore. 13, 12. Is first B okay for you guys? Because <laughs> I ran out of space. Okay. And then in, where's the mention of the mark here? 16. Okay. In verse 16. What does it tell us in verse 16? Yeah, so he, he causes all to be to be given a mark. I'm gonna write this in here. Oh, I don't have I don't have my green. I usually do it green. Six, 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 right? We learn that later, but six, six, six. Um, and it's on their right hand or forehead. So now we've identified what this mark is about. The mark of this mark that we're saying, when is the mark of the beast given? It's the mark of what beast? Well, he's causing all to be given a mark and he makes the earth worship the first beast. So this mark is about this first beast, correct? Okay, 
So I'm going to link it up here. This is his the the number of his name or uh, how did it say it? It's uh, the number of his. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? What do you now know about that beast? It's a man, right? Because what does it say? The mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculating the number of the beast for that number is that of a man. So he's a man. So let's put on here the mark is of a man. What reference is that? 13, 18, okay? Mark, is that of a man? That's helpful, right? Because now you've taken that beast and you've put in, you know, two eyes and hair on his head and you kind of know what gender he is, right? <laughs> okay, in, uh, all right, so now then there's that. The next time you see the mark mentioned is in the next chapter in 1410. Um, so again, we're still in the three signs. And what do we learn about him in 1410? About the concerning the mark. Is it nine? Oh, nine. I'm sorry. What did I, what am I looking at here? Okay. Okay. So what does it say? Okay, if anyone, I didn't say that right. If anyone receives a mark, he will drink of the wrath of God. And that is 14, 9, and 10. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, it is. You're right. Okay, so let's just cover the whole spectrum. <laughs> 9 through 11. <laughs> I have 10 on mine. <laughs> that just goes to show you how concise I was trying to be on getting it out. 9, but it should have been 9. Yeah. Okay, so Mark is in 9, and it's also in 11, but 9 through 11 covers the whole thing. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, it's not part of your homework, but I'm just going to throw this out here. Here's the perseverance of the saints. What is that? I have a question mark by it. <laughs> <laughs> you question marks. Huh? Yes, in both places. 13, I think it's, 10, it's the perseverance to not get the mark. Yes. There you go. It's Good girl. She's fast, man. She's clever. You know what? It really is. If you think about what he's saying there, it, it, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments. What is God saying, basically? What is his commandment then to us here? Don't take the mark of the beast. <laughs> and he's saying, why not? Because if you take the mark of the beast, what's going to happen to you? you're going to get the wrath you're going to drink of the wrath of god as well and so he's saying here's the perseverance <laughs> this <laughs> yeah 
Yes, yes. Right, absolutely. And in here, that is exactly right. When he, here is the pers perseverance of those saints. In the context of the flow of this thought, he's saying, here it is. Don't take the mark, because if you do, you'll receive the, the wrath. Okay? To me, that statement also makes it clear that you will know exactly what the mark is. It's not going to be questioned. You're not going to accidentally get the mark. Very you good. Get, you know, wrath good. on you. You will know, and you will have to make a really conscious decision. I do, you know, what's interesting to me is how many people have you ha had out there in a conversation since COVID start, they're worried about taking even the vaccines, right? And they're saying, oh, well, it's, it's the mark. Some people are going crazy, right? You know, the mark of the beast is, is the vaccine. Is that true? No, because for one, for one, for many reasons, right? Because for one thing, we're not in the right timeline. And later we're going to figure out when is this mark given, correct? We're almost there, but one, but besides that, we also know, as you just said, if you receive it, you're going to know what you're receiving. It's not, you're not going to be tricked into taking something that you think is okay to, to have, but then it turns out you, you've now condemned your soul to wrath of God. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. Absolutely. There you go. Very good. Right. That's exactly right. They start sticking you in the forehead. That would hurt. Ow. Oh, that would hurt. Yeah. Okay. So good. Okay. So those are great conversations and, and good points to to bring up to your to the forefront of your thinking right in all of this so if anyone receives the mark he's going to drink of the wrath of god it this this mark of the beast is related to the first beast uh the mark will be on the hand or the right hand or the forehead and then he says then now let's go to 16 1 the next place we see it aha uh -huh. Good girl. All right. See, isn't it awesome to do this list making? Now we are in where in 16? We're in the bowls, right? I'm so glad you're very quick. You know that, right? Okay. The bowls. For the rest of you who are not on board with us, you will be in the second. <laughs> now we're in chapter 16. We're in the bowls. Look what it says in 16.2. Ah, so the first angel went out, poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on who? On the people who had the mark of the beast. So when is the mark of the beast for sure given? Before the bowls. Right, the bowls. So let's just make a minute. Poured out. Ah on here the bowls here we got the first bowl first bowl and then it's poured out on the earth mm 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? That one only, which kind of makes you wonder, does that mean everyone on the earth has the mark at that point? Or are there some that don't? Do we know that for sure yet? Not really, we're, but we're pretty good guessers, aren't we? <laughs> okay, it becomes, becomes loathsome and malignant sores on those who have the mark. Yes, absolutely. There's so much more detail that we could get into on this for right now. We're just trying to get to answer the question, when is the mark of the beast given? So at this point, what we know then, if this is in 16.2, it's at the first bowl and the bowl is poured out on those who have the mark. That means people already have the mark by the first bowl. So those who took the mark were thrown alive into the lake of fire. That's in 1920. But here we know then the mark is given Probably, but for Mark is given before seven bowls, right? At least that much we know for sure. And that's a pretty good place to, to, to land on answering that question for today. Okay, so now when are the 144,000 sealed? Next question. We are going to start with uh, the sixth seal. In chapter seven, there's a question answered. Go back to chapter seven. We've been there already once. Um, the 144,000, let's see. Um, there, I'm just putting it in context because we're gonna start in chapter seven, verse three to answer about the 144,000. Am I right? Right? Because uh, it says in chapter, in verses one through eight, it speaks about the 144,000, right? And where are they? Geographical positioning, where are they? They're on the earth, okay? Um, it says that right away in verse one, they're on the earth. So now what we have to do is stop and say, where are we contextually in the book? So we go back up to chapter six, and we know that, that we were in the sixth seal, right? So this is coming after the sixth seal. That's in, um, uh, yeah, 617 is where we, where we ended. And there is a question is posed, right? Who can stand? Right? That's the question. So then we get into uh, chapter seven. And where are we? We're in a parentheses. And it's, it's answering that question, correct? Okay. And then he says, so now we're in chapter seven. And he says to them, do not what? Do not harm the earth, sea, or trees. 
tab. Okay, that was a long question. All right, seven, three. I think I got it all. Okay, so do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of God on their forehead. Now, what we know is even though we have come, we have been coming along, first seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, sixth seal, but now we have a parenthesis, right, where he's making the statement don't touch the earth or the sea or, or, or don't uh, harm the earth, the sea or the tree until they have been uh, sealed. Have we seen at this point the earth, the trees, the sea, anything being harmed up to this point? Well, well okay. So let's go back to the, to the um, for sure. Let's see, we're in chapter seven. Let's go, let's go back though. To, okay, that, let's start there. Okay, let's just start there just for the for the, the flow of thing here. Let's go back to the first trumpet. Okay, and we know that that's in chapter eight, just in case you're lost here. Um, we see in verse 8, 7, what does it say? What happens there? Yeah, yeah. One third of earth, one third of trees, and all grass. Okay, so, okay, so you just jumped ahead when that's exactly right. Yes, I know. Yeah, you just jumped ahead of me, but yes, you are right on. That's the next one. So we know there's a clear statement about the earth being harmed in 8-7. That's in the first trumpet. That's for sure. But we also know, is there a potential to look at this and say, has there been any harm to the earth or the trees? prior to this, because we know the statement in chapter seven is not a chronological statement. It's a parenthesis where general information is given. So what we have to do is go back and look and see, well, at what point in the unfolding of the seals and the trumpets have we seen thus far, have we seen any harming of the earth, the sea, and the trees, right? So we can go back to, let's start with, uh, I saw one in the third seal. What did you, where did you see yours at? In the fourth. Okay, so let's go to the third seal first. Um, yeah, that's, that doesn't seem to be as clear, but but it doesn't mean that it does that it can't be part of it for right now we're just getting in the ballpark okay but we do know that there's the third seal um and that's in uh six six and in that one he says um about as far as harming things, do not damage the oil and the wine. So the implication there is 
that there's damage being done to the earth in other ways, that, that at least at the third seal, right? Third seal. Um, yeah, so do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, beyond that, I mean, it, it's a question mark. All we know is it sounds like, right? It sounds like damage is, is being done. Well, but it also sounds like there's oil and wine. Sounds like what? There is oil and wine. There is oil and wine. But when it comes to, when it says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. So, and maybe the earth is being harmed even in war. I mean, certainly it can be. Yeah, they would, you know, flamethrowers. Okay. You had mentioned the fourth seal. So let's look there. Okay, and what is the scripture verse? Six what? Six eight. Okay, and authority is given. To do what? <clears throat> okay, with with famine, pestilence. Well, you get if you have famine and pestilence, you've harmed the earth, right? Okay, so there's another reference. Can you think of any others? I only get I only listed two, a couple of things, but I know there's more. Okay, where are you at on that one? Okay, and six what? Six twelve. It sure seems like pretty much we could say in the seals there's a lot of earth damage going on. There's a lot of harming of the earth, the sea, or the trees. And, and if you speak of the earth of not being just physically the earth, but those that dwell on the earth as well, then you can go all the way back to conquering even, right? So at this point, what we can say for sure is somewhere in the seals, early in the seals, we have the harming of the earth. So the, the question or the answer to that would be, when are these these 144,000 witnesses, when are they sealed? At least before the third, if maybe not at the beginning. Somewhere, well, let's put on here, somewhere uh, sealed. Somewhere early in seals. Maybe. at the beginning because it sure, it sure seems like even the conquering and to conquer could be, there could be, have been some harming taking place there. Maybe the first seal is a little more vague, but the second one, when, by the time war comes on even, there's certainly harming going on. So at least, it, even if you don't go anywhere else, let, let's take a stab and say the second seal, okay? Somewhere by the second seal for sure, these 144,000 have been marked. And it ha they have to be marked before. Okay? So maybe at the first seal. That does make sense, doesn't it? 
Okay. Good enough answer for you? Okay, good. All right, next question. When is gathering for the great day of God, the Almighty? When is that gathering taking place? So when do we see this all happen? Let's go to chapter 16, where we see the, the mention of the great day. Uh, we see in verse 14, right? There's a great day. And that verse 14 falls in what? Where are we? We're in the sixth what? The sixth bowl. So we're at the sixth bowl. Uh, we're in... Uh, 16, 12 to 16, for reference on that, so we're at the sixth bowl, and let's look to see what we have to say about it. What do we learn? What's going on in that sixth bowl then? Yep, the bowl, the bowl is poured out on the Euphrates. How am I on time? And what, so I've got 30 minutes. Ooh, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Keep moving. Pull, pull, pour that on the Euphrates. Um, the water is dried up. And why? Yeah. To prepare for kings. Of East. Okay, that's in 1612, correct? And then what does it say? Where do they gather? They gather at Har Megiddo, or Megiddon, as we call it. Um, and uh, it's interesting, it's, it says the gathering to the place which in Hebrew is called Harmageddon. So where is Harmageddon? Does anybody know on a map or geographically about where it is? It's in Israel. It's about, just so you know, 65 miles north or northwest of Jerusalem. I had to think it out in my brain. So if you're looking at, if you're looking at the map, it's northwest of Jerusalem, about 65 miles. So let's put that up here. They gather at Har Megiddo. That's about 65 miles uh, north of Jerusalem. Because Megiddo is our giveaway, correct? For our location. Okay, and that's 1616. All right. Who does the gathering? That's a good question. Okay, so the dragon, the beast, and false prophet. Oh, here's our first false prophet mention. <laughs> it was before 19, how about that? 1613. So we can go over here and say, where was the false prophet that we saw? There it is. 
So with, this is uh, 1613, right? So I'll just add that in. Okay, so the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, who gathers, they do. Also the demons, right? The demons coming out of their mouths. And how? How are they gathered? Performing signs. Um, and that those signs gather them together for the war, performing signs, gathers them, gathers men, kings, right, um, a whole world. Four, now we got it, a great day. Of God, the Almighty. I love that title, especially in this context. <laughs> it's very comforting to know we got somebody powerful up there on our side. Now, are there any other hints of a major world war? Now, although we don't know yet exactly. Um, Well, we do. We really do know. We're, tell me what you see here. When is the gathering for the great day then? And where are we in our context? We're in the sixth bowl. So we're at the sixth bowl. The gathering takes place. Now, when does the execution of it, though? Let's, let's take it to the next step. We know the gathering for the war is in the sixth bowl, but when does the, the war actually occur? There you go, chapter 19. Because when you, when you move into um, chapter 14, verse 20, flip over there, 1420, just for fun. We don't have to add all this in. But when you're talking about that day of the, this great wrath of God coming, the, the, for the great day of, of God, the Almighty, 19 talks about that also being the day of wrath, that it's the pressing of the winepress. And here it is again. He threw them into the winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden where? Outside. Outside the city. What city would that be then? Jerusalem, which takes us back here again to where Megiddo is, north of it. And it says the blood comes out for how far? A distance of 200 miles up to the horse's bridle. So what kind of a war do you think that takes? How much of a war? That's a massive war. That's a bunch of bloodshed, isn't it? So when you think about that, this is speaking then Obviously, if you go into chapter 19 now, let's flip over to 19, and let's just kind of look at it more in its full context for when it's being executed. Um, Jesus returns in verse 11 of 19, right? The heaven opens, a white horse, he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and does what? Wages war. Armies which are in heaven in 14 come with him. Who's that? Us. That's the bride. And then he says um, in 17, there's something called the great supper of God. Think of it in the context then of the blood coming up to the bridle of, of the horses for a distance of 200 miles. Well, if you start with Megiddo, 
which is only 65 miles north of Jerusalem. You come down into Jerusalem. Now, we're not sure where those 200 miles at this point. We don't know where those 200 miles are. We will learn that later, okay? But for right now, just understand the context of this whole event is near Jerusalem, which is where we are in this bowl, this sixth bowl. The gathering starts above Jerusalem and they come down into Jerusalem for this war. And then it says... Um, about that, he says, the angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men, slaves, small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against who? Him. So here we see them gathering their kings to come here. But here in 19, which is now uh, going to fall in the seventh bowl, is Jesus returning. And now this great, this great war of the Almighty, the day of the Almighty uh, occurs. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting when it says um, that the water of the Euphrates is dried up. And why is it dried up? Go back to 16. I want you to see this really cool because it's very interesting to see who's. Yes, we see that the be that the beast, the false prophet, and the um, the and the demons, the beast, the dragon. They're all the ones who gather. But also, who else is is working in this? Uh, yeah but it says they are spirits performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth together together for the war of the great day of god the almighty um there was a place i remember it saying that it's god that gathers them it might be in a different no that's the harlot yes yeah, so that's a different one but yes verse 15 behold i am coming like a thief okay this is very interesting i haven't i haven't fully had the time to look at this but did you notice there's a parenthesis around that usually that means that's inserted in some texts but not found in others as far as the ancient texts of of the hebrews and so you know it may or may not be in the original writing that's all i know at this point well, I think because, the, let me just give you a few verses and you can look them up, okay? Go to Matthew 24, 43, Luke 12, 37, and then Revelation 3, 18 and see if any of those shed light on that for you, okay? I, I, I'm not quite prepared to elaborate on that right now so i don't want to talk out of okay i've only got 30 minutes left she's got three more for me to do okay so this one happens in the sixth bowl sixth bowl
but during the sixth bowl. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Got the wrong lid on those. That'll confuse me. Okay. Now let's go to when has the hour of God's judgment come? Uh, let's go to chapter six. And the first statement where God's judging is made mention of is this one beneath the altar when the, when the souls who are beneath the altar. So we're at the fifth seal. Uh, the souls are beneath the altar. Let's write that down. They cry out, how long, O oh Lord? Will you refrain? From judging. Yep. Judging and avenging our blood. Now we've talked about this one over and over. We're going to be very familiar with this 6-9 verse by the time we're done with this study. So in 6-9, that's the first place we see the word uh, uh, that God is going to be judging. When has the hour of God's judgment come? Well, he's saying how long? Well, at least for sure in the fifth seal, what is his response? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> he tells him, wait, right? Although previous events may seem like judgment to us, right? We've seen the first, the second, the third, the fourth, uh, the fifth of the seals already broken. And we're seeing a lot of bad things happening on the earth. The earth is being harmed. The oil and the, the wine have been harmed. Or he says, don't harm them in one of them. But we know that uh, wars have come on. People are dying, correct? So although it looks like there's some judgment that has been going on, but, but for there's a specific kind of judgment, a specific type of judgment, a specific harshness of judgment that is being addressed in this question, okay? So this question, at least at this point, what we know is it hasn't happened by the time of the sixth seal, right? Are you with me? Okay, now let's go to the seventh trumpet. I am making a mess of things here. Seventh trumpet. Can you, you can see how difficult this can be. It's a little bit complicated. You have to find dimensions. You have to try to use, this is what, what we're doing here is we're, we're teaching ourselves to reason through the process of how do you eliminate things and how do you affirm things? And sometimes you don't get a clear, decisive answer yet but you will, what we're doing right now is laying down enough information to say this much, right? So far, this is what we know. We're bound, right, exactly. Until you finally get it, and that's exactly right. When we start doing um, 
the timelines, then we're going to have a lot better accuracy as to where these things will fit. So you're not including the six field because that's man's perception that the hour of judgment has come. It's not declared by that's, that's correct. Right. Which is, so that's why we, when we, yeah, I didn't. And you could add that into your list, mm -hmm. but then what you'd have to do for yourself in your process is start with man said. And then the next time it act, you actually see it, it's when the heavens make this declare, which is when I am going to jump you forward to, right? I just want to make sure if it's being up because. No, I, that's a really, really good point to be making, Martha, because all of you need to understand that the pro it's by process of elimination that you, you come to these conclusions. You don't, none of it is super clear cut without doing some digging and and laying things out. So you have to almost lay out your whole list and then you have to reason it through and say, well, we know that's not it because the next statement is made later and it's made from the heavens. And then the heavens make the declaration. It's then they've made the de declaration. It was back here. It obviously wasn't back there. Why wasn't it? Well, who said it? Men did. They were looking at the earthquake and going, oh my gosh, the, the wrath of God has come, but it hadn't. Uh, but does it, does God call it wrath? That's right. That is why I started the question out t telling you, is it wrath in general or judgment in general? Is it a specific kind of judgment that this question is made? When has the hour of God's judgment come? Now, we're going to get to a place where... Um, he literally says, for instance, later, thy judgments are true and righteous. And he makes that statement in the middle of something. And we're going to look at it. And, and where are we when that statement is made? And in what context? And so what is the inference there that judgment is actually being poured out? So if you really want to argue from that perspective, no, 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 I'm not meaning you're arguing at all. I didn't mean that it in that way. But if you really want to make the conversation about when is judgment, we can look at the earth right now and say we feel like we're under judgment. I don't know about you, but I feel under judgment just by the world we're in right now. COVID alone feels like a judgment, right? But it's not. There is a hour of judgment that's a declarative time frame that's a distinguished and a set apart distinctive day or time frame that's called the hour of judgment. And, that, and in the context of the book of Revelation, there is an hour, it's specific. And so we're trying to narrow it down, when is that hour? Right, well, it doesn't say fierce wrath, it just says, when has the hour of God's judgment come? So we're looking for a phrase, when the hour of judgment has come. So let's look for it. Let's go to 14.7, I'll just help you out. <laughs> There you go, 14.7, boom. What does it say in 14.7? Carol, would you like to read that for us? Okay, so now where are we in the context of this? We're in this, we've had the seventh trumpet has sounded, right? And that was in 11.15. 
we are now under the three signs. Again, back to the three signs, 12, one to 15, four, that parentheses. And now we see here, he says, uh, fear God. And give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. Now, if you if you haven't figured it out at this point, I just want to make note to you that you pay attention to this. What got what Kay did is she went through the text and she pulled out major statements like this one. And this is where this major st statement is made. The hour of his judgment has come. Well, it says here, the hour of his judgment has come. So when does that fall? Well, by putting this in context, by knowing what our segment divisions are, we know that we're under the sign segment, which is that parenthesis. So we don't have a declarative statement yet, right? So now what we have to do is go to the next step and try to weasel it down until when do we see actually his judgment come? Um, we know the seventh trumpet has already sounded, so at least that much has passed, right? We see in um, uh, the next portion, which is going to be where we pick back up the seventh trumpet again, right? That was 11.15 to 19. Now we pick this up in uh, 15.5 to 8, correct? It resumes. And here we see the statement here is the seven angels are given seven plagues. Uh, seven bowls or seven, seven bowls. And in them are full of the wrath of God. That's in 15.7, correct? Before that, there was in 15.1, another one. We could have put it in here, but it's not super important to do it right now. Now, let's move on to the next time we see the mention of judgments. It's going to be in uh, 16, chapter 16. So we're in 14, just keep moving forward. Now we've entered back into the, we've, we've already entered in at this point in 15 up to 16. We're back on the uh, trumpet, 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 trumpet. We pick back up at the trumpet. Now we're going bull, 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 right? Okay, so we say angels have get, been given those seven bowls. The next thing is we get to the third bowl where that word judgment is used. And he says, thy judgments are true. They're true and righteous. I love that statement. Yeah, <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> that seems to be, <laughs> at this point, yeah, we all feel that way. <laughs> Then you get down to the next one, which is the seventh bowl. So at this point, what we've done is we have determined that these judgments that we're talking about are 
falling in the time of the bowls because in the third bowl he says your judgments are true he's talking about these judgments of these bowls of wrath correct so yes yeah 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 yes okay go back read that for us yeah read it Yeah, you judge these things for they poured a. Oh, yeah, they did. They deserve it. Uh, 16.5. I actually should have put that in up here, huh? But okay, so yes, add that one on your list. I'll try to remember to add that to mine when I get home. 16.5 and 6, where it says, um, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. So there's that judgment again. When has the hour of God's judgment come? Well, he's judging, right? Are you seeing it um, in there, Carol? Are you following? Okay. Okay. And then he says, for, there's a, a, a reason why he's judging. They poured out the blood of the saints. And that was the first question that was posed uh, by those souls underneath the altar. How long are you going to refrain from judging? And he says, wait just a little bit longer. But now he says, you've judged. Why? Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. So you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Kathleen says, <laughs> this is the scripture. <laughs> okay. And then you, then you follow up with um, 16, 7, 17, rather. And what does he say about it in 16, 17? By the time it is done, then the seventh uh, angel poured out his bowl on the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Now, I tie this all together by simply saying that we're in the times of the bowls. The bowls are are determined to be God's judgment. We're looking for when is the hour of God's judgment come? And he's saying, this is my judgment. And now I'm answering those souls who wanted to know when is, when is he going to be judging and avenging our blood? Now we're in the sixth bowl. So now what we know, it's the seven bowls are, is the hour of God's judgment. Does that make sense? It's, a, I know, listen. It is a windy, twisty, you have to layer, layer, layer your pieces and start putting one plus one. I, I am really sad that in our curriculums, in our school systems, we, we don't teach reasoning and connecting dots and you know drawing those kinds of conclusions. And it becomes rusty for us, it really does. And because we're, we're used to people just spoon feeding answers to us, we don't stop to say, how can I reason this out myself? What are the clues I'm looking for? Where in this case, we're looking for that word judge, judging. We are fixing it now to the, the well, the times of the trumpet, these bowls are given, these bowls of wrath, but judgments are true and righteous. Judgments they deserve judgments because they poured out the blood now he says at the in that seventh bowl it's done huh i did good all right all right well phew. when does babylon fall
Okay, good. Good girl. You took us right to the right spot. Okay, that one falls. 14.8 falls in the three signs again. That's right. It's so nice to have a, another teacher on board. Okay, 15.4. Okay, so we're under this, the three, in the time of the, the three signs. That's when the statement is made, fallen, fallen. is Babylon. That's why uh, Kay says, when does Babylon fall? Well, here we're into the three signs. Do we know? No, that's why she's asking you to reason this through and try to figure out, okay, so when does Babylon actually fall? Well, that's important. So Babylon the Great was remembered before God in 16, right? Did you see that one? So, uh, so in 16, we are in the seventh bowl, right? Now we're into the seventh bowl. I have to put these references of context down for you so you know where you're at. You've left the signs, now you're in the bowl. So now you're in concrete information. Seventh bowl, Babylon um, was remembered before God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it means I had it written down and now it's now you, it's time to pay the piper. <laughs> wine of his fierce wrath. Interesting to me that every time Babylon gets brought up, the intensity of God's anger really rises. Okay. Yeah. So now. Okay, now we're moving to another in the spirit statement. We're in chapters 17 to 21 and it's details, right? Correct. Okay, so now you know where we're at. We're going to move into 17.1. And what does he say? Come here. I will show you what? Yep, the judgment of the harlot. The great harlot. See how intense his words are when he talks about her? So that's in 17.1. And then I'm not going to write all these things down, but I've got them on my list. Uh, it talks about how that harlot is judged in those details, right? Who judges her? How do they judge her? And, and what's going on with this? Well, the beast, which has seven heads and 10 horns. It shows, it shows pictorially he's carrying her. Then in 18, it goes on, it talks about all the nations have drunk of the wine of her immorality. The kings have committed acts of immorality with her. So I'm in 18.3. The earth became rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And then in 18.19, he says, in one hour, she has been laid waste. I'm going to put that one down here. In one hour, 
she has been laid waste. Uh, that was uh, 1819. So we're in those details segments there. Then it says the 10 horns or the 10, yeah, the 10 horns and the beast will hate the harlot. They're going to make her desolate and naked. They're going to eat her flesh and burn her up with fire, right? Oh, here's that verse I was looking for. How does this all occur? And look at 1717. God put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. I was thinking that was a, uh, attached to the gathering for the um, the Armageddon, but it wasn't. This was, it was about her judgment. So uh, this is in seventeen. God put it in their hearts. In hearts of this is ten horns and the beast. to burn her up. I'm just going to put it that way. They really, they went from loving her, drinking the wine of her immorality, loving the, the, these, committing these acts of immorality with her, becoming rich and wealthy through her. So they went from being this, this uh, friend, so to speak, cohort in crime, and then they turn on her. And why? Because God put it in their heart to do this. So that's in 1717. Okay, uh, so when does she receive this according to just what we've seen? The seventh bowl. Yep, the seventh. Because everything else, this is a, in the spirits moment. This one here is in another parenthesis, the signs, uh, the three signs time. This, the, but the bold statement that God remembered her to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath, that's all. He says, come here, I will show you this judgment, right? And so then he says, she falls in one hour, laid waste in one hour. So then it goes back to the seventh bowl. So seventh bowl is when that happens. That's going to be helpful to know when you start looking at timelining of things. I lost my lid to that. It's somewhere down there. I'll find it later. Okay, one more to do. Wine press. When is the wine press trodden? Let's start with three signs uh, and the reaping of the earth time frame. Uh, three signs. We got this down now, don't we? 12-1 to what? 15-4, you guys are getting good. And we are going to be looking at the reaping of the earth section. It's one of the paragraphs that we marked off, right? Uh, and what is going on in 14-19? What does it say to us? There's an angel, right? What does he do? Yep, he swung his swung his sickle and he gathers what clusters of earth and what does he do with them yep he threw them into wine press 
and that's in, in uh, 1419. Okay, so that gets us started. And then in, in 1420, it says what? Okay, the wine press is trodden outside the city. What city? That would be Jerusalem. That's in 1420. So now we know that we're told about this wine press that's being trodden outside the city. We see that right here. This is where she pulled the statement from, right? Correct? Are you catching that? Okay, so she pulled that. Statement. So where is that? Well, the city is Jerusalem. When do we see the wine press? Uh, uh, how else is that wine press being trodden? Explain to us there in verse 20. What is the pressing? What's getting pressed out? The blood. And it's blood uh, that's uh, for 200 miles up to the horse's bridle, right? Does this sound familiar? Have we already kind of reasoned through when we think this time frame is then? When does it happen? Yeah. When does it happen? Well, the sixth bowl, they do what? They gather. For Harmageddon. And then when is the next one then? The seventh bowl? And what happens in the seventh bowl? Jesus comes for war. And then we have the great supper of God. We just read all that. I uh, can't remember the verse though, 19 what? Great supper. Uh, 17 to 21. Okay. And it says, the kings gathered for the great day of God, the Almighty, the gathered to the place which in Hebrew is called Harmageddon, again, 65 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a, an event that sheds a huge amount of bloodshed. We've already talked about that. It's an enormous army of men that gather for this, right? They come then in that seventh bowl. Jesus comes. He treads the wine press in 19. He comes for war. Jesus treads the wine press. That's in also 1911. So all this takes place when? Seventh bowl. And it's done. I have a lid somewhere down there. Gotta find it. Oh, here it is. All right. We answered all the questions. So now, if you did not get that done on your homework on your own, now we help you do your homework. Don't you feel better? <laughs> and I know you all, we did not even discuss all those list making, but now you can see why the list making was necessary. All those lists help you gather enough facts 
so that your mind could start reasoning through where things would go. Between that and your um, segment divisions that are super important for being able to line up information and stay contextually in where you are when you're reading. Otherwise, what you know what happens is you would drop into chapter 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 and you'd pull information out and you still wouldn't know where it went. But now you know that's a parenthesis. So now you can say, okay, but what, what am I actually dealing with? We're actually dealing with where does it fall in these? The the, 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 actually, it's 21 events. One through seven, one through seven, one through seven, seals, trumpets, bowls, right? And so now all we have to do is figure out how do these lay out? Are they laying out systematically in a straight line? Do they overlap in any way? This is the next part that we're going to be looking at at some point, okay? But for right now, we've answered our questions as to where some of these major events go. I would go back to your observation worksheets look for where you see these statements, right, about the mark, uh, when the wrath is finished and so forth, and make a note for yourself, this, this occurs in, and give yourself a statement, fifth bowl, sixth bowl, seventh bowl, whatever, just so you have it next to where the information is being talked about, because you, you're not going to want to do this every time. <laughs> too much work, right? Just make yourself a note right now so you've got it locked in. Where, where is the wine press trodden? Well, that's in the seventh bowl. Where does Babylon fall? That's in the seventh bowl also. A lot of it you're going to find out is almost all falling in the seventh bowl, and the rest almost always falls at the seventh trumpet, okay? They're, they're, those, are, those are two major segments of information that, that fall into place for you all right thank you guys yay happy bye you guys bye yoshiko have a good day bye holly